that is what I got for 2022. And and since we didn't talk about sports very much this whole year, that uh, maybe the Raiders will or two things, maybe that the Raiders will start to win some games and the Yankees could actually make it back to the World Series. So not predictions. I guess those are hopes and a desperate attempt to shoehorn a sports discussion into our show. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Law in Black and White, a podcast featuring Jonathan Greenblatt and myself, Brian Parker, the co-founders of Legal Innovators, an alternative legal service provider. We've been friends for over 25 years. We're both lawyers with lots of opinions. In this podcast, we look at current events, the business of law, innovation, and diversity in the legal industry, and occasionally, we'll even talk about sports. As the name of our show suggests, we recognize that there may be aspects of the law that require our thinking to go beyond just the black and white of the law. We share what we know, what we've learned, and what we're still learning. As 2021 comes to an end, we want to take the time to reflect on the conversations we've had this year and look forward to 2022. We're extremely thankful to all of our guests who shared their thoughts with us this past year. We look forward to continuing these discussions. For today's episode, we've selected some common themes and favorite quotes. We will also discuss what these trends mean for the year ahead and some predictions we see coming for the industry. We've selected three key themes for this discussion. The first is diversity, equity, inclusion, and allyship. The second is mental health. And the third is innovation. So with that, let's dive into our first topic. Our first theme that arises in many conversations is around allyship. What good allyship looks like, how we can be better allies as mentors and sponsors of diverse attorneys. Paulette Brown discussed allyship for women of color at law firms and how that may mean having a broader range of sponsors for them. The women who I know who have been very successful, especially in the large firm context, you know, and it's not that many, I can name them all. They will say that it was because a white man was their mentor. Probably beyond a mentor, they were actually their sponsor, somebody who would vouch for them. And that's what you really need within an organization. You need more of a sponsor, somebody who will vouch for you, who will go to another partner and say, I want Paulette to be on your matters and I want you to make sure she gets her fair share of work. And, you know, I want her to get valuable feedback on what she's doing. And I want her to be able to make a mistake and, and, and that you will keep working with her, you know, as you would any other person, especially another white male who may look like you. See, the, the, the thing is, is that people in general, they kind of gravitate towards people who look like them. So when you're looking at things like this, you have to be intentional. You have to say, this is what I need to do. And it's not just for you or for that person, but it's really for the success of your organization. You know, because you have, you bring people into your organization and you pay money to bring them into your organization for the most part. So you've made an investment and don't you want to improve on your investment? And I think a lot of people don't think that way, um, you know, and they don't take the time and energy to continue to build on that initial investment that they have. Siobhan Hanley, Chief Talent Officer at Oric, 
described a recent shift in how white attorneys are seeing their roles in promoting diversity in the wake of the murder of George Floyd. What I think is happening at Oric, and I hope is happening across the country, is that white people are finally saying, this is wrong, and it's as wrong for me as it is for you, meaning it is not on you, diverse people of color to drive the change. It should be as intolerable to our white That's lawyers right. that our industry is not diverse enough. And it should be an, in, as intolerable to our white citizens that our black citizens are, you know, experiencing what they're experiencing. And I think that pivot, my sense is that that has been meaningful and that we are really trying to own this and to understand that driving diversity should not be put upon our diverse lawyers and our change needs to come um, from our, you know, lawyers who are in the position of power and drive that change. And um, that dialogue has, has been, and so what does that mean? That means real, concrete, active allyship and change, right? Creating change and driving it. In our conversation with recognized disability rights advocate and law professor, Kat McFarlane, she described how lawyers can step up and be better allies to attorneys with disabilities. We also have to stop othering disability. So all of the conversations about disability have to be had as though there are quite a few people with disabilities in the room. I've sat in on trainings about disability where the, the images used to represent disability are of children, people with disabilities are very infantilized, and they're spoken of as though they're this mystical, inspiring creature that doesn't exist in reality, that again, we have to be welcoming to. That, as you mentioned, is a patronizing way to speak of people, but it also really outcasts those of us who are present and have something a little bit more <laughs> relevant to say. She also offered this specific advice regarding mentorship of lawyers with disabilities. Be open and be knowledgeable yourself as someone who is in a mentoring position about how to help someone with disabilities. And to the extent that you are in a leadership position in a law firm, you should have people with disabilities that you know of who are willing to mentor young attorneys with disabilities. And that also could be you if you're knowledgeable about disability, but maybe are just an ally and don't have a disability yourself. These are some really deep and helpful thoughts. And we, of course, appreciate hearing these insights into Ally Shop from our guests. Brian, what stuck with you about the various quotes and clips that we just listened to? Uh, I would say two things, John. The advice from Kat uh, around disabilities and hearing somebody even say like we're infantilizing people, right? Almost like talking down, being pejorative to people with disabilities. And so I think it's important that we inform ourselves and we, you know, kind of approach it with the weight and the respect that, that they deserve, quite frankly. And then the point that Siobhan made around allies getting involved in helping drive the change for diverse lawyers versus holding diverse lawyers responsible for fixing the situation. So they got to be in the situation and they got to fix it too. So those would be my two takeaways, John. How, how about yourself? Well, the latter one, the allyship, I, I mean, we could talk about this for hours, but I think that's where white people need to understand their responsibility goes. 
I think too many people of my generation believe that because they don't act in what they perceive to be a racist way, in other words, they think they're treating people fairly, that they've done enough, or that means they're not they're not acting in a way that perpetuates the problem. And it's obviously much, much deeper than that. And you know, whether you call it being an anti-racist or being an ally or whatever label you want to use, I don't think we will make the progress we need to make until what Siobhan said is accepted by uh, more people than it is right now. I, I'm hopeful that the younger generation does accept that and understand that, but too many people of my generation, I think, don't. Yeah. Uh, well said, John. Thank you for capturing that in that way. So theme two, we're, we're going to move to uh, mental health in the, in the legal industry. I know something that's very important to us as a company. It should be no surprise that given the current state of the world and this collectively traumatic experience of living through a pandemic, mental health was a topic that was top of mind for many this year. However, even before recent events, the state of mental health amongst U.S. attorneys has long been a cause for concern. Why don't we start with this clip from Siobhan Handley on the topic and why it's so critical to the continued success of the legal industry and specifically how it applies to attorneys of color. I think it's an existential threat to the profession if we cannot figure out the way to navigate stress and wellness and to, to really bring it to the profession in a, in a meaningful way. I think that we are coming out of a situation that's a once in a lifetime and the stress that is created, the combination of the pandemic as well as the, you know, uh, killing of George Floyd and the, you know, just the overall approach to systemic injustice and the stress that that creates. I think I shared with you, Brian and Jonathan, that over the summer we allowed our team to take bereavement time. We basically said, we'll treat it as bereavement time for those of you who are really feeling, I mean, I was hearing from associates of color that this was like a death in their family, that they were distracted, uh, they couldn't focus on work. And so we gave people the opportunity to take three days. And I had people writing emails like I'd never seen before about what they were suffering from. And so we can't have a, an inclusive sense of belonging at a law firm if we don't understand the link between those things and understand that the stress that's created particularly in our communities of color with, with the ongoing issues is an impediment to success. You cannot thrive if you if that is part of your daily experience, which for many it is and the trauma of that. So, you know, I think it moves beyond opportunity to absolute necessity and critical to the success on all of our, in our efforts to be, you know, a diverse and inclusive law firm and to just be a successful law firm, honestly. These are very powerful thoughts from Siobhan on the necessity of the legal industry to grapple with the mental health crisis facing our profession. We also heard from Angela Grant, chief legal officer at Palomar Holdings on this topic and how she is encouraging wellness and good mental health among employees during the pandemic. You know, one of the things that I did earlier this year was added a line tagline to my email, which basically says, I don't expect you to respond on nights or weekends. 
so that if I send something out, I don't need people working till 10 o'clock mm. trying to re respond to it. I mean, sometimes that's required, but that's typically not my, my style because whatever business we're doing is not as important as people getting enough sleep and having time with their families and taking time off, etc. Latanya Langley, Vice President and General Counsel at BIC, also had some insights to share on how she promotes mental health and her role during this unprecedented experience of living through a pandemic. We've also been making efforts to have programming that reinforces the importance of taking care of self. So, you know, we've set up virtual coffee rooms so team members can come in those coffee rooms and just check on each other and you can't talk about work on, in these virtual coffee rooms. Uh, we've had, in fact, next week we have a guest speaker coming to speak to our women. Uh, and this was inspired by what has saved my life, at least during the pandemic, which is Peloton classes. And so I have Tunde, who's a very popular Peloton instructor she, coming. She is uh, very yes. tough to get through. So I'll, I'll ride with you, but not during uh, Tunde. So yes, BP yes. underscore 19. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, follow me and I'll follow you back. Yes, and she's really, you know, she's been very helpful. Her classes oh. have been very inspiring. And I want her to come and talk to our women about healthy living and, and mindfulness. And I've also had, you know, guest psychiatrists. I've had you know, uh, guests, or even spiritual leaders to come and help my team meditate. We have a yoga, virtual yoga class coming up as well. So it's finding ways to have team building, but at the same time, ensuring everyone is okay, full circle, mind, body, and spirit, because I think that's how you're going to keep engaged teams. And then more than anything, sometimes it's just requiring everyone to shut down, shut your computer off and let's start over tomorrow, you know? The work is not going anywhere. It's really, really important to just be able to exhale and really prioritize your health uh, and your mental well-being. And so we're really being vigilant about ensuring our team members have those resources. Brian, why do you think this topic keeps coming up as it has? There are many links, it seems, between the themes we've been discussing, mental health, retention, feelings of isolation for diverse attorneys, talked about those throughout the year. What's the bigger picture here? How is it all connected? What's it mean for firms going forward? Yeah, John, I, I, I think, and you know, in, in our private conversations, obviously, you, you've heard me talk about this many times. I, I think Siobhan said it best, right, uh, that mental health left unaddressed is an existential threat to our profession. Now, some might think it's hyperbole or, or taking it too far, but I think that the bigger picture is we make our living with our minds. And if our minds are clouded, if we are having uh, too much stress or not dealing with it in a healthy way, we can't be the best that we want for our colleagues, for our clients, for ourselves. Uh, and I think that we've known uh, for a long time. Um, I think that the profession has just kind of had a mentality of, all right, well, you know, be tough or deal with it. And how that showed up is through, I think, some very unhealthy habits at times, excessive drinking, you know, deterioration of, of, of marriages and that sort of thing. I think we need an openness uh, to say it's okay. Understand that there sometimes can be challenges. But before we get to challenges, being mindful about 
being healthy. I don't know if it's yoga, if people like the Peloton, like the two where we're, we're talking about or taking walks or just unplugging from your computer every once in a while. I, I, I think that where it ends for me in the big picture, John, um, is being more intentional and more mindful about protecting your health so that you can show up as your best self. And then as leaders, we're promoting those messages and saying, it's okay to take that time. You know, you're, you're from a similar generation, maybe a half a click ahead. I, I wonder how you think about this. Well, I, I have the same reaction, I think, that I had to the last question, which is my hope lies with the younger generation that have made this a, a part of their value structure and take it quite seriously. And younger partners who are going to be in a position of power in their firms who also feel that. Because honestly, I think my generation may be a lost cause. Hmm. This is almost part of what a lot of lawyers of my generation see as the DNA of being a big firm lawyer. You know, it is what it is. If you don't like it, do something else. Those kinds of things that come through. And even though they suffered, they sort of feel a lot like people do when they talk about how boot camp for them was much harder than boot camp was for you and all of those things. You know, they feel like they've come through it and therefore they're better and tougher for it, which I don't think is correct. So I think the change, just to repeat the point, I think the change has to come with the next generation. And if there are lawyers in the power structure who are not from that generation who think that this is just sort of a, a passing issue, I think they're going to have to accept that what was good for them is not good for this generation. And if they want to have lawyers for a long period of time who are going to stick with them, they're going to have to change their approach. Yeah. Millennials are, uh, are, are again going to be leading uh, the future of our profession. Well, I, I tend to think you're right. So the next theme uh, is really to talk about the innovation, the concept of innovation how the pandemic may be affecting innovation and where we see things going. As trying as the pandemic has been on our collective mental health, it's also provided a lot of opportunities for the legal workplace to adapt and innovate. So perhaps it's no surprise that another theme that cropped up in our conversations this year was innovative problem solving to address those different problems that are facing the legal industry. In the American Lawyer article that was written recently, you know, the reporter asked, do I think that some of the changes were coming anyway? And the answer was, I do think they were coming uh, inevitably, but the pandemic absolutely accelerated them. So Liz Price had something to say about this topic in our discussion with her. To me, a big part of innovation is not being afraid to fail. It's okay to try it. And if it doesn't work, okay, well, we tried it and we'll try something else. So I have felt very fortunate that we've been able to have that kind of mindset where we're going to try it and, and not worry if it's not always perfect. Javon Hanley added to what Liz had to say. And it's an exciting time to be here because there is this openness to we've got to do things differently if big law is going to stay big law. Then Liz came back and shared with us some of her innovative ideas from her time as the chief talent officer. If I would say the things that I'm most proud about where we have innovated were being kind of at the leading edge in terms of alternative working arrangements. So again, kind of going back to the notion of law firms, historically anyway, thinking one size fits all. Everyone's going to start. 
Everyone's going to be on partnership track. And then at whatever the appropriate time is in your firm, you will either become a partner or you will leave. We decided that we needed to be a lot more flexible. And this goes to some of the things you were mentioning, Siobhan, in terms of making alternative career paths available to people in the firm to fit whether it's a long-term decision or a short-term lifestyle need. So we went from just a straight partnership track to non-partnership track positions for more junior lawyers, more senior lawyers, uh, stated policy and alternative career path to partnership that's, you know, not qualitatively different, by the way. There's no qualitative difference in terms of the people advancing to partnership on this alternative career path. It's merely quantitative. Uh, the number of hours that that they can commit. We have project attorneys. We have people who off ramp and on ramp, you know, at various points in their lives. Um, so I have been very pleased to see that the firm has been flexible, and and frankly, the profession has become much more flexible in coming up with those uh, alternative roles. Jim Leipold, executive director of NALP, also shared, uh, and he shared with us innovative way to foster inclusivity and belonging for the younger generation of the LGBTQ plus lawyers in the workplace. I think this idea of reverse mentoring, so we learn so much from young people. So law firms deliberately pairing queer people with older partners and having them learn about each other as human beings. It's one of the hardest things in this country right now in almost every arena. We're so encamped and polarized and so reluctant to talk across our belief system values. But really that coming to know someone as a human being as opposed to a set of identities is the most powerful learning experience always. And so to the extent firms can be deliberate about setting up those learning cultures and creating situations where that getting to know human beings happen, then they're not so concerned about what someone's wearing or what their pronouns are or, you know, what their family structure is. They're, they know them as a person and then they know their lawyering skills and the quality of the work they do. And those are the, the most important things. So, John, uh, you know, I guess I was uh, I was really hopeful to hear some of these truly exceptional and creative innovations from our guest. As an innovator yourself, what were some of your key takeaways to listening to some of the clips that we've just heard? Well, I, I, I let's start with the last discussion that Jim just had mm-hmm. uh, on getting to know people as people. Mm-hmm. That shouldn't be an innovative thought, actually. <laughs> it should be relatively self-evident. But uh, unfortunately, it is too often innovative. That is the key. If we know people as people, then so many of the other things break down. And we have to allow ourselves to do that. And that means, by the way, understanding and learning from the people who are different from you, not just sort of getting there and showing that you're open-minded by being with them, but listening to them and understanding them. So you know, it's not shocking. Look at the military, look at sports teams, look at anything where some, a group of people who may be from very different backgrounds and different beliefs uh, come together for a particular cause. And while they're seeking to accomplish that collective goal, they are understanding one another and working with one another. And all those differences tend to fall away. If we can do that under those circumstances, it seems to me 
We absolutely can do it, not only in our professional lives, but in our personal lives. The second thing I would say is uh, to what Liz was talking about, which is that law firms are beginning to experiment a little more with different career tracks. And part of that is their workforce is demanding it. But I do think that the pandemic, and to be honest, the fact that law firms have survived through the pandemic, have freed law firms up, almost given them permission to try things that they may have known were out there, like remote working, like a different work week, that, and guess what? They functioned well, things went on. It may be the case that it's absolutely not sustainable 100% of the time, but it's uh, it, it certainly is something that I think the profession has learned from and opened its minds from as well. Yeah, yeah, it's a necessity being the mother of invention, right? Like, so you're you're in this uh, unique time. Obviously, I grew up in, or started my career in, in law before you know moving to banking and then operations. And and John, we talk about this uh, a lot on the corporate side of the world. There are R and D budgets. There's experimentation that's expected, right? And some of the best innovations we have have come out uh, from corporate, uh, have come out of people trying things and running pilots and all those things. And um, so on, on that score, I think I probably only have two points, maybe three. Liz Price, the chief talent officer over at Alston and Bird saying, we can't be afraid to try and fail. So people will say, oh, I want to innovate, but I don't want to fail. And she says, no. Okay. If we fail, we've learned from that. And maybe we tweak it and we do something else or otherwise learn lessons. I'll pick up on your point, I guess, combination of what you just said or what you've said, I think, as a theme throughout this recap, which is learning from the younger generation, right? Uh, and, I, and I really do think that, look, we're going to teach them. I mean, we mentor, we train. That's a big part of the program. But I think in this world where, to me, the best leadership is, yes, absolutely top down, right? There's lessons that have been learned over decades of people's uh, career, stories that they've seen that makes them equipped to, to be better leaders. But I think part of being the better leader is understanding people that you're trying to lead, where are they coming from? So let's listen to them a, a little bit more. And your point, and I guess Jim's point about getting to know people. I was just at the conference, as you know, in Orlando called Charting Your Own Course. And I was struck by the courage of, uh, I think he was a senior associate, but I'm going to guess around fifth or sixth year. Um, and he stood up, a black associate. But he says, look, the black experience is not all the same, right? He was a, a queer black male. And he says, we have to understand that there's not a one size fits all. And let me share with you some insights from this population that I that I bring. And I said, wow, I really appreciated the courage because he's going to inspire other people, you know, to speak their truths and say, hey, this is kind of what's going on uh, over here. And I and I think we haven't had uh, folks feeling comfortable enough that they could express themselves like that. And I think that what that's saying is that while we still have uh, a ways to go, that this goal of creating places of belonging and inclusion are starting to happen. Or um, maybe to your point, uh, the younger generation is just like, hey, this is where we're going. I'm going to speak up whether you you make the place or not. And I think that it's exciting. I know we're going to get into some predictions, but I think just being able to think outside the box, as we say in the intro, beyond the four corners of the page, is just very exciting for our profession. And my hope is that even some of the leaders that have been in the field for a long time are open to some level of innovation. They may not turn 180 degrees, 
but maybe they're open to 20 or 30 degrees. So talking about innovation and thoughts from the past year, probably a good transition to get into our next topic, which are predictions and trends for 2022. We want to talk about what we think and what we see ahead for the legal industry in this coming up year. And John, maybe start with you. What do you see for 2022? And will any of the themes remain in focus uh, for the coming year? And, and will there be new ones? Well, I think most, if not all, of the themes that we've been identifying will continue to be major themes in 2022. Uh, the one thing I would say is, I don't know what will happen if things reverse and the markets stall, because the legal industry has been experiencing a lot of growth over the last, believe it or not, over the last 18 months. Uh, law firms have been very busy in particular departments, and uh, profits have been up in a lot of law firms because costs have been down. I'm hopeful that what we won't see is that if those things reverse, commitments to diversity and some of the innovation will go out the window. You know, it can't, it can't be that diversity is only something that we do when we feel we can afford it and that we don't do it when we feel there's, you know, other priorities that push it down to the bottom. So I'm very hopeful that won't be the case. I'll come back to my overarching theme. I think that young lawyers won't let it be the case and mm -hmm. can't let it be the case. L young lawyers of all backgrounds. And if the young lawyers don't let that be the case, I think law firms will be responsive to that. You know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens with remote working because uh, there's all sorts of things that are flowing out of the fact that people are working primarily from maybe not even home, maybe from places that are vacation homes or places they'd prefer to be than home. And it'll be really interesting to see if we can sustain that. And by that, I don't mean it should be sustained. I mean, I should put it in a neutral term whether they will be sustained. Personally, I think Fridays are gone. I don't think they're ever coming back. They were hanging on by a fingernail anyway, in terms of being in the office, mm -hmm. save for exceptional circumstances. I think Mondays are in danger. <laughs> <laughs> Four-day weekend. Sounds good. <laughs> I, think, I, think, uh, I think the bulk of the work week is going to be Tuesday through Thursday mm -hmm. in terms of in-person getting together. Uh, that doesn't mean on Mondays and Fridays that people aren't going to work. I just think they're going to work from a different location. And it may be that that mix is actually good and healthy because it is very isolating for particularly young attorneys, but for all of us to just work solely from home. And I do think young attorneys lose some of the learning that comes from being in interpersonal relationships in the same location with other lawyers. I also think that uh, those lawyers, young lawyers, are suffering from anxiety and stress that's more easily relieved to the extent people are with them and, and they can see people holistically. So all of those things, I think a mix is probably the right way to go. Right. But it'll be very interesting to see how that plays out as we go forward. I do think that clients have gotten used to not having lawyers travel as extensively as they used to. I've had a client say to me that the kinds of meetings we regularly had on a big case I worked on are no longer necessary in person. Uh, he said, not all of them, some of them are. 
but many of the ones we felt the need to get together for, we now do by Zoom or by, you know, other forms of uh, conference, video conferencing. And those things are probably not going to be quick to change. I think clients aren't going to want to pay for people to get on a plane for a relatively unnecessary meeting if they can accomplish it through some other means. So those are just some thoughts. Big question for me overall to summarize is, what happens if the market changes? What's going to happen to to these efforts that we've been discussing today? Yeah, yeah. Brian, what do you what do you think? Yeah, well, uh, you know, as as usual, I think we in big picture things we have you know sort of gradations around the edges, but I think directionally see things in the same vein. So I might use a couple of different words, but I think a lot of the themes that that you've put out are right on, and so I think. As we go in uh, to 2022, one of the words that comes up is uncertain, but it's a different type of uncertainty than uh, we saw in 2020, where the pandemic first took hold and kind of shut everything down, and there was just a lot of fear and I think some panic. Markets fluctuate, gyrate, as we both know, and we, we, we've seen many times. I, I think they're whole steady, but your question is well taken. I mean, nobody has a crystal ball. So I think the theme is going to be adaptability across the board, right? So it's a lot of what if statements. So what if this? Well, how do you react? What if this? How do you react? And I think that the people and firms and leaders that are open and are flexible to change plans within us. I mean, you, you can't just make a new plan every day, but people that have flexibility are going to be the best uh, well served. So a theme on your three-day in-person is, well, what is the hybrid office look like, right? We've established that people can be productive uh, working from home, that that is somewhat of a benefit. But the balance of that point is your point that you articulate in the mental health space, I think, well, and that we're social creatures, right? We have a generation of lawyers or maybe two or three classes that have never been in the office, right? They want to meet people and be mentored and 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 socialize and, and just do work. Some of the the learning that comes from walking in a partner's office. So how does that happen in the hybrid office with the fluctuations or potential fluctuations in the market, up or down? What is the market for being flexible on talent? And I won't be self-serving and say legal innovators, but for people that have talent management solutions or ALSPs, how are they going to continue to interact and support both law firms and corporations? I think my final two points, predictions, questions, diversity, equity, and inclusion. We've seen a real commitment. I think we've celebrated those that have, that have really stood out in some meaningful way for programs, for how they're leaning in, for how they're supporting their diverse lawyers, for clients saying that diversity is important is that, and that it matters. I wonder... When we get back into the office and for uh, one more year with uh, the unfortunate and tragic murder of George Floyd in the rear view, do we maintain as an industry our systemic focus on uh, an inclusion? I certainly hope so, but that is a open question for me. And then the second piece is, again, I think it very much goes in concert with something that you're saying, and that is, okay, we get back in the office. These associates who've never been in an office before, they're socializing. So do people say, oh, okay, well, we're, we're great. People are socializing. We don't have to focus on mental health. Do we remain mindful that mental health is, as Siobhan over at Oryx said, an existential crisis in our profession? And even when we come back into the office, I think that those 
firms, those corporations, those environments that are going to be the best are going to be the ones that remain mindful in some meaningful way around mental health and the importance of that um, to uh, their workforce uh, and to the whole morale of their environment. So that is uh, that is what I got for 2022. And and since we didn't talk about sports very much this whole year, that uh, maybe the Raiders will <laughs> or two things, maybe that the Raiders will start to win some games and the Yankees could actually make it back to the World Series. So not predictions. I guess those are hopes and a desperate attempt to shoehorn that sports discussion into our show. <laughs> 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 All right. Well, to round out this last podcast of the year, we wanted to look back at our, by which I mean Brian's favorite part of the show, uh, the pet peeve segment. <laughs> he loves it. And highlight, <laughs> I hate it, um, and so, highlight some of the best answers from Brian, uh, me, and our guests. So first up, we have the best Brian pet peeve of 2021. My pet peeve this week is uh, is is me, or a certain aspect of me. So, as a former baseball player, relatively high level, I've said, "Why can't I hit a golf ball, a little ball that's sitting on the ground and not moving?" And I said, "Okay, over the winter, I've got prescriptions in my golf sunglasses. I got a new driver. I'm ready to get out there, rush out there." And um, I still can't hit the ball and it's not moving. So uh, I, I'm irritated about this, but now it's not the equipment. It's not my eyesight. It's just got to be me. So I'll, uh, I'll keep at it. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's a sad day in the, in the Parker household. So, Brian, I told you that uh, we were going to get around to sports with that pet peeve. <laughs> oh, boy. I, I don't know whether, having seen you play golf, I'm not sure that could be described I, as sports. I, I was but, actually, um, I would I would, uh, I would, agree with that after uh, what I demonstrated in Florida at this, uh, uh, at this conference. Yeah, so <laughs> can't disagree with you anymore. So, you know, with uh, having fully made fun of uh, my golf skills or lack thereof, we will move to John's biggest pet peeve of the year. And it has to do with a certain customer service representative. There's two parts to this. One is the fact that when you want to talk to a company about anything, technology, in order for something, something didn't get shipped right. Of course, they want you to fit into one of the three computer categories that cause you not to have to speak to a person. Okay, that's one pet peeve. But then you get to a person. Okay, If you're persistent and you're willing to spend 20 minutes waiting and hitting dials on your phone until you finally get to a person, you get one who's generally 18,000 miles away from the center of the activity that you're talking about, who is super polite extremely uh, wants to be superficially helpful, but has no authority to do anything and doesn't understand anything about what you're complaining about. <laughs> so you end up more frustrated than you were <laughs> when right. you started. And you're like, well, why do you have this system where you're going to shunt me to some island somewhere? I'm going to be talking to a very nice person who has no authority and uh, and doesn't understand what I'm asking for and can't solve my problem and right. then wants to be rated at the end and says, right. could you please fill something out that says uh, how well I did in solving your problem, which is horrible. Right. You didn't do anything to solve my problem. I still have the problem. <laughs> right. And, and now I'm aggravated on top of it. Uh, I enjoy your telling of that story, John. 
I don't enjoy the many times of being on hold. And, and I think uh, me as well as uh, the audience can really identify and empathize with uh, some of those customer service experiences that you were uh, lamenting there. And, and now we have the best pet peeve from one of our many wonderful guests from this last year. And I'm sure she's going to be thrilled to hear that this honor goes to Liz Price of Alston and Bird, and where she talks about the challenges that people seem to confront in trying to keep a mask on during COVID. What is it with people who wear masks on their chins? Okay, so this is not a high tech object. It's fairly simple. You put it around your ears. You put it on your face. If you're like over two, you understand conceptually how it's supposed to work. Maybe it's upside down or inside out. Not so much a pet peeve. But what it, I mean, why? What is, I see people all the time and it's on their chin. I don't get it. It drives me nuts. That is my pet peeve. <laughs> it's a great one. I know we're going to move to uh, closing out our uh, uh, 2021 here, uh, but I have to say, I was sitting next to somebody on the plane today, uh, and he kept pulling his mask down below his nose, and he wasn't eating. And I was like, okay, do I call the, the flight attendant on him, or do I tell him myself? So I just kept staring, and he, he eventually pulled it up. I, I'm going to get out of the way so John uh, could close us out, and, and uh, I know we're going to do some proper thank yous in that but uh what you guys don't see behind the uh behind the scenes are a really good production team that that i think has uh helped us put out some good quality and so to uh ben and uh megan and eliana i really just want to thank the three of you and know that we will uh be back and be stronger and all that stuff in uh, uh next year but uh uh john well, I think it's a little ironic that i am being asked to give out the highest award we have to offer and that it's being given to me, uh, the person who dislikes the pet peeve segment the most. But uh, our judges voted, which means me, and we've chosen uh, my experience in trying to order an adult-sized quesadilla recently. Wait, wait a minute. Like, so it was a committee of one, and you won the competition? You had an opportunity <laughs> to vote, Brian. <laughs> Actually, I might have voted for that, because it's so ridiculous that you couldn't get the quesadilla you wanted. I'm okay with that. <laughs> well, as you know, um, usually I can't come up with a pet peeve, but this is one of those few times when I've been actually looking forward to the pet peeve segment, segment of our <laughs> show. Uh, because, uh, let me set the stage. Oh, boy. <laughs> I was uh, rushing because my wife was in the car waiting for me, and I was trying to get something quick to eat. And I stopped at a Chipotle, and I ran in, and I said to the very nice, accommodating woman behind the counter, who was serving food to people, can I get an adult-sized quesadilla? Because they have kids' quesadillas on the menu, but I know they have adult-sized quesadillas. And I'm an adult. <laughs> and even though I probably should have eaten the kid-sized quesadilla, <laughs> I, I wanted the adult-sized quesadilla. She said, you can't order that here. You can only order that online. So that's the first thing. Why can you only order it online, oh, no. but not in the place? <laughs> that if they can make it for you, that so that okay, I don't get that. But then she said, "But if you want, you can you can download the Chipotle app, which I have no interest in downloading, um, and order it, and I'll just give it to you." Yeah. So 
<laughs> marketing. Or you can, they they you walk. They want to be able to push stuff to you. Come back in, and then I'll give it to you. Because <laughs> yeah. this makes sense. So that also was nuts. But then when I tried to do that, it actually somehow Google got control of my attempt to do this, and refused to let me do it until I answered a questionnaire that. <laughs> I think had about 45 questions associated with it. Do you trust Google to keep your information that you've said to keep private, private? No. Next question. Do you think... I said, forget it. It's not worth it. <laughs> I'm not going to try to order online to get my my adult-sized quesadilla and answer a 45-question Google questionnaire in order to have the privilege of doing so. Oh, man. So that that is my pet peeve. And then, by the way... Because Google did that, and I didn't finish the questionnaire, somehow I lost my Gmail. So <laughs> the whole thing was a disaster because I couldn't be satisfied with kitty size. Well, I was just going to say, what well, the punchline? Did, did you get a kid uh, case there or two? Maybe that two of them. I stormed out of there. I went to Five Guys and I got a burger. <laughs> I like Five Guys stuff. So. <laughs> Listen, this is the end of the year, and we want to thank all of our guests this year, all of you as the persons who listen to The Law in Black and White, uh, for spending the time to both participate and listen to our conversations. We wish everyone a happy holiday season and new year. We hope you enjoyed our discussion today and throughout the year. You can find us at legal-innovators.com for even more insights. You can also subscribe to our podcast and follow Legal Innovators on social media to see what we're up to. We look forward to talking to you next time and in the new year, and be safe in the meantime.